Hello, I'm Joss Stone. Thanks for joining me for a cup of happy. I spent the last few years singing my songs in every country in the world and been lucky enough to meet incredible people from all walks of life. What really struck me is that no matter where we are, we're all on the same mission. We're all just trying to find our version of happy. So with this podcast, I'm going to be speaking to a whole host of people to dig deeper into the what, why, and how of this emotion we call happiness. I hope that with these conversations, you discover something to help you on your own quest for happiness, possibly change your mind on a few things, and along the way, share a good old laugh with me and my guests. Today's guest is an executive and personal coach who during her long career has spent over 18,000 hours on the phone working with people to improve their lives. She's worked with all sorts of people, including CEOs at huge companies like American Express and the BBC. Coaching is a new and intriguing idea to me, similar in some ways to therapy, but also very different. It focuses on the present and the future rather than looking back actively taking control of your life and working out what you want and taking the steps to get there. Find out how during today's chat with the incredible Katie Harvey. Hi, Katie. Hello, Joss. How are you? Really well, thank you. I've been really excited about this podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, good. Oh, it's so lovely to talk to you. It's lovely to see your face so I can see your massive smile. (laughs) Yeah, it is quite massive with huge You're already making me feel happier. So well done. (laughs) Job done. Well, job done. Exactly, exactly. The teeth, they work in some ways. The thing that's difficult about Squadcast and Zoom and all of these is that I know that in order to look in your eyes, I have to look at that funny little hole at the top. But I I really want to look at you and look at your face and that's down there. And so just forgive me if I'm looking in the wrong place. Eye contact. Very important, isn't it? Absolutely. I noticed that I met a few Scientologists in my lifetime, not many, but they don't half stare at you. Have you met any Scientologists? Yeah. Do you know, it's funny you should say that, Joss. I've been fascinated by Scientology for a long time, but never met have one. You? Yeah, oh, I really, really have. I've been very interested. I guess I'm, a, I'm just fascinated by humankind and all its idiosyncrasies. And Scientology seems to me one of its idiosyncrasies. So I've been interested. Uh, but no, I haven't. So I have learned that you're also a musician. Is that right? <laughs> Well, what's really funny, Joss, is I'm just off the back of a long camping weekend where I sang around the campfire for three nights and my voice has dropped about an octave. Do you know what? I was going to ask you exactly that. I was going to say, are you around the campfire type of girl or (laughs) a classical musician? So I have my answer. Well, in a way, I'm both, I guess, because my background was in classical because all my family are classical oh. musicians. And so that's what they do. And that's what I did. But I was the one of the family who never went on to perform and went into psychology instead. But oh. so now what I do is I sing to my children at nighttime and I sing around a campfire a couple of times a year. And that that makes me very happy. Oh, that's sure. lovely. <laughs> oh, do you know what? I spent a little bit of time in a forest in France and it was kind of mad because the people that were there half of them lived there in the forest all the time and they were just the most beautiful balanced like very accepting type of people yeah I bet there's something really special in that in being in nature and music it yeah, kind of gives you exactly a bit of joy what my last three days have been they've been a perfect intro to this podcast on happiness because oh, three lovely. days in a forest that's where we were in a woodland and singing around a campfire yeah oh, that gorgeous. was definitely happy oh I need to be doing that so um, I heard that you do 
Happiness Nights? Ah, yes. So there's a very, very famous book. Uh, as a coach, my my job, and it's a very lovely part of my job, is to read an enormous amount of books about happiness and life mm. and people. And I'd read them for pleasure, but I love that I can pretend it's work too. Yeah. So um, one of the one of the most famous books on happiness is called The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin. And I read that, feels like eight years ago now. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine read it too. And what she does is uh, Gretchen thinks about happiness she was just kind of going through her life going through the motions and thinking I should be happier I've got everything I'm hugely privileged why am I not happier and so she decided to do a project take a year to look at happiness and to see whether she could tweak aspects of her life and whether that would create happiness so she took January for home decluttering or something and then she took meditation for February and and she went on through the year taking a different topic for every month just with the aim of seeing how much impact it had on her happiness and so my friend and I read this book thought it was really interesting and decided to create a group of our own with our friends Um, and we would meet up on the last Friday of every month and think about one particular aspect of life just as she'd done, come together to talk about it, set intentions for the coming month, and then all discuss it in the next one. And Mm. some people definitely (laughs) were more engaged with it than others. Some people just turned up for the wine, um, other people for the food. (laughs) And I was obviously doing it religiously for a year. And it made a massive difference to my life. We've since carried it on. We're into our seventh year, I think now. Oh my goodness. um, Meeting up, we've become a, we're an amazing group of friends, but now it really is just about the food and the laughter and the Oh, that's lovely. So when you sit down and have these chats, do you, is it kind of like Thanksgiving situation where you say I am grateful for, or do you really like get into, you know, the concept of relationships or whatever, whatever it is that month? How did it work so people can recreate that? Well, I think we made up this idea ourselves, but actually at the same time, we didn't realise that Gretchen Rubin on her website, which I don't know what it is, but um, I think she herself has put out this idea to people who want to create groups and meet up about it. But um, so what we did was we would pick a different theme for each month and we'd start off I seem to remember I might have spoken a bit about what I discovered from clients on that particular theme and then everyone would go around the table and talk about what they were going to do set goals really and set intentions for the coming months on that topic to work on it to work on it and then we'd review and reflect on the last months and what everybody did and whether it Mm. had increased the happiness or it sounds very proactive it sounds really good yeah I mean why not take the ball by the horns and go actually let's focus let's focus in on this issue that we have because we all have the same issues really well that's it there's such a lot of commonality and I'd like to point out there is and was a lot more silliness than I'm making it sound there's an awful (laughs) lot more laughter to it too but, but that's it, good it, that's what we need that is what we need because it was all about happiness but it did it led itself to some huge changes in my life when I think back over that year mm. sometimes it's good just to be conscious you know what I um yeah. I'm known it's quite funny some people think I'm the most patient person in the world and some people think I'm the most impatient person in the world. Depends <laughs> depends how you kind of are in my life. So if you're my engineer and I'm working on a record, they probably think <laughs> I'm a bit impatient. <laughs> so, but um, my boyfriend, for some reason, thinks I'm super patient. So well, that's probably the that's right way nice around thing. to have it. Yeah. yeah, that's nice. But I was in the studio um, a few years ago and I noticed that the chap that I was working with, he was very just really chill and slow and you know the way I work is very playful it's like okay guys this is what we're doing this is the song 
these are the courts one two three let's go in and we'll just do it and oh, i can God. imagine that oh god it can be fun <laughs> but to somebody that takes longer and wants a little bit more mm. time and patience and you know calm that can be very annoying so i realized how god how annoying i was being to this poor guy <laughs> so i went to my friend harriet she makes and you tell me what you think about this um she makes uh, flower remedies mm. for you so she said jossie you need patience so she found this flower that was specific for patience and she made me a little bottle Aww. and she said what i want you to do is just put it under your tongue like actually it was eight times a day which is kind of a lot and she said just think of the word patience don't think about whether you have it in abundance or whether you don't don't think about any of that just the word being part of your day will do something good and oh my god it changed the sessions did it, it totally yeah oh good it took that. about three days and then i was like i noticed i was like oh this is flowing so much better and I don't know whether that's a placebo or I don't know what that is. I think we'd probably talk about that being two things, I would imagine, kind of intention setting, because right. we talk a lot in coaching and in personal development around setting intentions, which really also is about mindfulness, isn't it? Mm. It's about choosing. I know you. I've listened to your other lovely podcasts and I know you talk a lot about having choice and it's right. a really big thing in coaching is having always having that feeling of choice um which is a complicated topic but still so choosing patience or is about exercising that choice and setting an intention but then saying it that many times a day helps you be more mindful in the moment I would imagine so I think it would be those two things that would be working for you there right yeah I've I've noticed how choice has somehow I don't know what happened but it became controversial I read that <laughs> That, isn't it amazing? Like, I mean, it's amazing and interesting and um, it's kind of, it's kind of shocking and a little bit confusing to me, but also you can understand why. Mm. So in your opinion, you know, you've spoken to many different people over years and years and years. So you've got a lot of, you've got a lot of experience with different um, personality types and trying to help them. Yeah, I do. So... Do you think, after everything that you know, that everybody has the opportunity to make their lives better? Or do you think there's some people that just don't? They just never will. They will never be happy or they'll never have choice. Or do you think that that is a thing, that that exists? Well, I think that it's a complicated one because I think there are certainly things that we have choice over and things that we don't have choice over. There was an incredible guy called Viktor Frankl. He was a prisoner, I think, in, in a Nazi concentration camp. And he right. wrote a book called Mind and Meaning, or I'm probably saying the name of the book wrong. But he, my understanding of his quote and what he said during that book is that they can take away all of our freedoms, but they don't have control over our minds. And we ultimately have a choice as to how we think and how we react yep. to things that are happening to us. And so I, I I, understand the idea of saying that everyone has choice sounds rather glib and sounds kind of privileged. And yet I also understand the idea that, yeah, we do have, we always have choice over how we respond to something or right. how we react to something and over what we choose to think in a situation. So I I come back to that kind of Viktor Frankl. If he said it, 
and wow. he was in the toughest of times, you know, then, then I get that. But having said that, learning how to use that choice over what we think and feel and how we respond to something, that takes a lot of work. Most of us on automatic pilot the whole time through our lives, I think. I certainly include myself in that. I try not to be, but I'm still on automatic pilot a lot. Yeah. So I'm not actually exercising that choice very frequently. Mm. But coaching my job and through my job, coaching helps people take the time to learn how to use their choice, to learn how to think, to learn how to um, be mindful, to learn how to make the choices in their life that will make their lives as happy as they want them to be. So yeah, it's that I love mm. my job helping other people to exercise that choice. And then as a side effect, allows me that choice too, I think. Mm. So if you're faced with somebody that truly doesn't believe that they have that choice to exercise, how would you combat that? How would you help them kind of gain that belief? I mean, mm. it's kind of, a, uh, it's like faith, I guess. You know, if you believe in God, you believe in God. doesn't matter how many... Yeah. How how much science is put in front of you, how much data is put in front of you saying the opposite, that's what you believe. Yeah. And that that's essentially that's blind faith. That can be good for you or bad for you. Mm, that's right. But I've noticed that within this particular conversation, if if someone doesn't think that it's there, how can they use it? Mm. People tend to come to coaching because they want to make some kind of positive change in their life. So they already think that it's there there must be some hope. There must be some idea that there yeah. could be a change. So that's the first thing to say is that they'll come because yeah, they're, they're not forced into it, are they? They do go on their own, right? They, in my practice particularly, yeah, people come, they choose to come and have mm -hmm. coaching. There are some corporations where they, a, a person is given a coach, but in my practice, people come and choose to work with me. Having said that though, clients often have limiting beliefs about themselves and about mm -hmm. what's possible for them in various ways. So although they've got kind of a, a macro sense of hope, the micro about certain things might be quite limiting. So there are many techniques of working with limiting beliefs, but the first I think is understanding it to understand where it's come from, to understand where it's serving you, because that might sound a bit counterintuitive, but sometimes holding a limiting belief can can serve us in some ways, keep yeah, us sure. feeling safe or protect in our us. comfort zone and protect us exactly. So there's a kind of first step of really understanding that limiting belief. I call it excavating around it, like where it's come from. And then then you become you do the work which can take time and you do need to be patient often yeah. but there's that thing around okay what would you like your new belief to be and how do we build up evidence how do we test out whether that new belief could be true and so often we'll set homework for the client to to take during the week in between we speak to each other and then they'll come back and report back in and bit by bit Great. by bit they grow the evidence of okay yeah this this new belief could be true and then over time it becomes true and it replaces the limiting one wow Okay, I'm going to take that on and do my best. You know, I um, I was I wanted to ask you because you coach coaches, so yeah. I feel like every time I'm asking you a question, I'm feeling like, okay, this could help me help that person, or yeah. you know, everything that you really said to anybody, I think, in your life, including in your sessions, you're not just helping that one person; you're helping whoever is a, whoever is next to that person too. That's one of my favorite bits about it. Is that, Isn't that, that lovely? You know that the knock-on effect, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's truly happening. You know, yeah. my brother went to a therapist and would come home and tell me what he learned and that helped me. And I do the same. And it's like, oh my God, we're learning all this stuff that helps yeah. us, you know, um, helps us help other people. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous way to use your time yeah. on the planet. So 
a lot of people turn into the therapist for their friends because not everybody has I suppose the time or the money to hire a therapist That's right. so they'll go to their mum or their best mate and get advice I suppose and and vent but sometimes those people are really great and helpful and sometimes they are really not that's they right. are super toxic and awful. <laughs> and they'd be like, nah, just go around and, I don't know, Kia's car. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> they could go so wrong, right? <laughs> Good. So what would you say, you know, to somebody that isn't the therapist but wants to help their friend? How do we do it without wrecking their lives? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so... Coaching is non-directive. That's what it's termed as. So, mm -hmm. and what non-directive means, and it's probably obvious, but is that we don't tell people what to do. So for years and years, because I've been going for 18 years and I, I've been trained out of ever telling someone to go and key a car or go and leave their partner or get a new job or hand in the notice. It must be so hard. <laughs> well, I guess for you, it's not anymore. But, not yeah. anymore. But at the beginning, yeah. it, it was certainly really hard. And it is one of the things actually that new coaches most grapple with is turning off that desire yeah. to say, oh, dump him or oh, yeah. go after that job Leave or oh, go him. for the promotion. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, at the beginning, it's hard. But after so many years, what I now find really hard is if a friend ever does come to me and say, what do you think I should do? Yeah. I, I I almost can't. I, what I do, and this is the advice I would give, is to um, is to say, ask questions. Just hold a space for the person to think in and listen really well and then ask questions. And what you'll find is the person will come to their own answer for themselves. And it's usually a much better one than you might have given yourself to them. So that's what I would say to people wanting to help their friends is listen and ask questions rather than jump to that tell. Yeah. You know, but but I'm sure there's a balance because sometimes it must be good to tell. And I think my friends probably find it frustrating that I never probably. do. They probably know that you kind of know. Because you're so be well-versed in it. And they're like, can you just tell me? <laughs> I can't figure this out. Please just tell me. But you know what? If you're told to do something, like you say, you kind of, it doesn't go in the same way than if you learn it yourself or kind of stumble across it yourself. Then you I feel like that. you've kind of, you've done something, you've achieved something, I suppose. I, and I, I don't think it's as sustainable and I don't think it's as empowering as figuring mm. it out for yourself. I'm all about the person figuring out their way forward and what works for them and then not wanting or needing the coaching anymore, as it were, and feeling that they've got that inside them. I have clients call me years later or maybe drop in for a session years later and say, now you think you haven't spoken to me for ages, but I speak to you all the time. You're yeah. inside my head or you're just on my shoulder. And I hear, I think to myself, what would Katie ask me right now? Yeah. And what I love is they never say, what would Katie tell me to do right now? Um, they always say, what would she ask me? Oh, that's what would she great. say about this? And so I, they're not really, of course, using me. They're just kind of using me personified as their own wisdom inside. And I love that that gets internalized and, and then they don't need me anymore. You know? You've helped them question themselves. Yeah. Which is the most important thing that all of us should be doing. We all need an internal coach, I think. Uh, we could, sometimes we need an external one too to help us build the internal coach. But yeah, that internal voice inside that asks us the questions, yeah. that gives us support along the way, holds us accountable. We all need to develop that. Do you need one? So I'll have different coaches for different times. When I had children, I picked a particular type of coach when I was coming out of that maternity and back into into coaching again and then when I kind of growing the practice even more or ramping up in some particular way I'll have a different one but absolutely oh, really? I do 
Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. I, I don't think I could believe in coaching as a useful tool in people's lives as much as I do if I didn't then think it would be useful for me as well. How do you find them? How do you kind of select somebody that works for you in that in that sphere? I think it's important to speak. I'll speak for people in general as well as myself, but I think it's important to speak to a few coaches. I also think it's great, just as with lots of services, I guess, to have a referral, a recommendation from a mm -hmm. friend. If you have someone that you know who knows you and has worked with that coach and thinks that you'd be a great fit, then brilliant. But if you haven't ever come across someone who's worked with a coach, because it's still relatively new, then mm. you might find a coach through the internet maybe and and speak to a few. But I think what's so important is that you feel a, a fit. You feel the chemistry between yeah. you, that you can laugh together, that you feel a sense of trust and a sense of safety with that person. And, and I think that's vital because when I remember there was a study done many years ago about the efficacy, the, the power of coaching versus um, therapy versus counselling versus all the different interventions. Yeah, what's the difference? I hear you say coach a lot, but not therapist. And it's kind of sounds like the same thing. Ah, well, I, I'll, I'll talk to that, but um, I'll just finish the thing that with all of those different things, I remember mm. that one of the major predictors of success was not actually which one you chose, but mm. was about the relationship between you and your coach or you and your therapist. And if that's strong and healthy, then the outcome will be successful, almost regardless of which way you oh. went. But I will tell you about the different ways. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm going to make this too simplistic, Joss, and probably That's have perfect. therapists and counsellors up in arms and coaches up in arms. Sometimes we just have to be simple about things. Yeah, exactly. And I love simplicity. Um, so it's said, it said to be that therapy looks into the past and heals the past and figures out ah. why something is the way it is to understanding the, the emotional past to then move into the present to feel well in the present. Coaching tends to take the present and the future as its focus. So it tends to start by asking, how would you like something to be? And that uh -huh. could be in your professional life. It could be in your personal life, but it's very much looking into that future and then ascertaining where we are right now. So you've got point A here right now and then point B off in the future, this desired place that you want to be. And then it's about closing the gap between the two. So, yeah, right. they tend to have these different focuses. It's not exclusively so. Simplistically, that's the difference. Are the studies different leading up to it, the education? Yeah, the training. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very different. Um, there's huge transferable skills around listening yeah. and questioning and empathy and rapport and all of those good things. But yeah, there really are differences about because of this focus on moving to the future and goal setting, I guess, and mm -hmm, setting mm -hmm. intentions. That is really different to working with somebody in the emotional past and working with trauma or working with addiction. In, mm. in therapy, of course, there are very specific areas of understanding too, whereas coaching tends to be more, again, because we're non-directive and we're not giving advice you can apply coaching in any different topic whether that be working with a CEO of a company or someone starting their own business or working with relationship issues you can still apply coaching whereas in therapy you may have someone coming with an addiction or bereavement or mental illness and you'll be trained in those specific areas does that make sense yeah totally it must be a very positive way to live I mean if you're constantly having conversations encouraging people towards optimism and tomorrow yeah. It's got to it's got to fill up your life with brightness. I I just feel so lucky just to have my job. It does. No, it really really does and it, it probably sounds twee or that I'm not telling the truth but it just really does <laughs> fill up my day with positivity and laughter and and hope yeah. because people are coming talking about 
where they'd like to be. It's not to say that everyone's journey is smooth and always straight up and there's lots of bumps along the way. Yeah, but gosh. it is a very, very positive, happy mm. job. I feel really lucky to have it and it rubs off into my life too. I know it does. When the hope's gone, then it's just too difficult. It's too, it's too really sad. sad for hope to go. It's just awful. So if you if that's your world and you're giving people hope, wow, how lovely! Congratulations. <laughs> I'm I happy do, for I do you. feel I'll take that congratulations because <laughs> I do feel really lucky. I found it when I did. If I was born a, a little bit earlier, let's say, or um, I I might not have found it because it just was coming to the UK where I'm based um, at exactly the time when I was searching for what I wanted to do in my life. And I read an article about coaching this newfangled thing that had come over oh, from okay. the states, and um and I just thought that's it. This is the thing uh, that I was born to do right if it's american i didn't know it was but i it totally makes sense that it was you know we as english people we do often make jokes about the americans being too positive and too optimistic and it's like god can't believe him he said have a nice day what a wanker it's like how can you We're say so naughty to do that we are yeah it's so naughty it really is but of course that affects the general happiness of the nation so yeah. surely it does affect it but so you're dealing you're working in england right Coaching's always been, for me, and actually across most of the profession, very, very virtual. So prior to, oh, okay. so when kind of COVID and lockdown happened, it was business as usual for me because ever since 18 years ago when I started, I've been working on audio, not through Zoom, that didn't exist back then, but I would be working on just on the telephone line. So I've always worked around the world oh, okay. with a person in New Zealand one minute and then someone in New York and then someone here and someone there. And it's always been that way. Mm. Okay, so I read that you have worked with people in like huge companies. I knew that. I just have a little list mm-hmm. that Rich made for me. People in the BBC, Hearst Pierpoint College, Hiscox, Disney, Christian Aid, American Express, EE, Vodafone and BT. Woo! I mean, that's just some. <laughs> I know that's just, that some. just some. And I know there's many, many more, but that just gives the listeners an idea of what type of people that you work with. Now, I love how varied it is. Isn't that it great? Is that varied. And they're mm. all like, they're all companies that we have heard of. I don't know whether you're working with uh, the CEOs or, or what. I don't know. All across the range, actually. And, and I've purposefully been that way. Okay, that's that good. I'll be working one minute with with a CEO and then another minute with someone who's very new to their early career and just starting out and Mm -hmm. then another with a mum returning to work and then another minute with somebody who has been unemployed for a long time and it's that variety that I think has kept me one of the things that's kept me as in love with it as it as I have been over these years Mm -hmm. because I never did want to niche in one particular level of an organization or even in organizations I I love working in them out of them at this level at that level and Mm. with lots of different topics along the way yeah a lot of the clients I work with are people that can afford to fund coaching so that does then mean that there's a bias oh, I, see. But I do okay. I do a fair bit of pro bono work to make sure that I'm also offering coaching out to places where they yeah. wouldn't necessarily afford it otherwise oh okay so how do you make your decisions on who you work for pro bono oh what a good question just um <laughs> I want to know about your heart oh it's it's <laughs> relatively selfish in a way assuming that somebody um, wouldn't be able to fund the coaching for themselves then if I think I'd do really good job working with them because I'd really love to then I say yes to it assuming I've got the time to do it properly I always think Mm -hmm. that if I am as engaged as possible i.e. I love the client I love what they're doing then I'm going to be the 
best coach that I could be in that moment. So I kind of do it on what I'd really love to do. Like I really love working with teachers and I do quite a lot of voluntary work here in the UK with teachers. And so I, I, I maybe because since having children, I've understood more about the role education plays, of course, it's obvious to say, but that's really something I feel very passionately about. So I love giving time to teachers and because I'm that engaged in it and passionate about it, it just means I do a better job, I think. So you're, you're empowering people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a friend of mine, she is a great teacher. She works with lovely children that have learning disabilities. Yeah. Oh my God, she's so great with the kids. But sometimes with the school or the rules or the teachers or the Ofsted officers or the, you know, the people that come in that aren't the kids, the kids are not the problem. The kids are wonderful. Yeah. She's got amazing methods. They love the bones of her. It's actually the environment yeah. and you know, the fact that maybe the schools are underfunded, you know, Absolutely. in comparison to other schools in the UK, not the world. But that stresses her out. Yeah. Like so much, you know, and there's nothing that I feel like I can say apart from just encourage yeah. her to keep doing what she's doing. How do you kind of help somebody in a scenario where they genuinely do feel helpless? Like there's nothing they can do apart from quit. What would you ask? What would be the question, not the instruction? <laughs> well done. I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. No, getting there. Totally There's a coach <laughs> in the making there, Just. What would you ask her? <laughs> I think I'd start by asking her what she wants. Well, she would say, I want the head of the school to not be such a dick. I love how we're role playing a coaching session with your friend and me right now. <laughs> She's going to listen to this and be like, that's not what I would say. <laughs> and also, I can't believe that you've just said that with my boss. Yeah. Um, just make sure you don't say her name and then we're all good. Um, <laughs> um, oh my God. <sighs> yeah. So that's it. She's like, I just want my boss to just not be a dick. What, what, what we do is I'd ask her what she can control and what she can't control. And we'd explore okay, yeah. all the areas of which she's got influence and where she can control. It could be that she just realizes she's just got to leave and she's got to go somewhere else. Or it could be that she realizes she could influence the boss or it could be that she could learn mm. to tone down her irritation. Maybe, I, I don't know. But all of those are options, mm. I guess. And those are things that are within her control. So we'd explore all of that and then look at what's mm. outside of her control and what we can do about that, whether there's any kind of acceptance that could be had or you know, if she really does just need to make a change. And then once yeah. that's all explored, what's within her control, then we'd start to look at choosing a plan for moving forward and what that would look like, breaking it down into little steps and then kind of setting off down that path of taking the action. See, mm, It's letting go, isn't it, of things that you can't change. You can't change other people. You can only change yourself. You do have to sit down and take a good look of what you do need to let go because you can't change it and what you can change in any challenging area in our life. We have to have the space to do that bit first before we can then make the choices to what we do let go or what we don't and we move on. ACAST recommends LGBTQ plus creators who are making an impact this month and beyond. Tune in for your new favorite show. Hello, I'm Danny Pellegrino, and I host the Everything Iconic podcast. If you're into reality TV and pop culture, subscribe to Everything Iconic, where I break down all of your favorite Bravo shows like The Real Housewives and Vanderpump Rules. I interview celebrity guests and take a bunch of detours along the way. 
Everyone from Cameron Diaz, Rosie O'Donnell, Daniel Levy, Andy Cohen, Katie Couric, and even Queen icon legend Miss Piggy have stopped by, so you'll never want to miss an episode. You could find me on social media at Danny Pellegrino and subscribe to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, the show with over 23 million downloads on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Yep. Okay, so I have a question about those people that you have coached that are very high up in a company, say in a position of massive power mm-hmm. over a lot of people, I suppose. I think a lot of people believe that, well, first of all, they can't have any problems because they got money. Yes. And also, I think that, especially politicians, actually, because they get a lot of shit, and people that run massive companies, I've had many conversations about how evil... I don't, in your opinion, are people sat there, the, the people in a position of massive power, mm-hmm. are they sat there kind of rubbing their hands together after the day going, he, 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 mm. I am so glad that I have taken all this money from the world and I don't care that these people can't drink or eat. Do they lose empathy? I guess yeah, the question the is. questions around empathy. I just read an amazing book called Humankind. I think the guy's mm-hmm. called Rutger Berman. Sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. But he talked, it was such a good book, and he talked about the fact that as humans, our natural default setting is towards empathy and kindness. He said that oh, that's nice. it is nice. That's why I love the book. He said that we've been fed for a long, long time the idea that left to our own devices, we'd all go feral. Lord of the Flies situation, that bottom line, oh, we're yeah. all kind of just greedy, power thirsty, money grabbing. That civilization has kind of civilized us. But he said that that is a line we've been fed. And that actually the research mm. and, and the thinking these days shows that fundamentally we are by default pointed towards kindness and empathy. And and that is a, a, a belief I like to hold about people and, and certainly yeah. helps me in my job to do that and just means that I have a happier life on the planet if I'm believing that to be true. But I've seen it to be true as well. Having said that, there are, I know that there are people, of course, who are wired differently or who have extreme trauma in their childhood. And, and through that, their empathy can be completely switched off. Uh, maybe it wasn't even Oof. ever turned on through childhood or maybe it's, it's very, I think, as far as I understand, it's very rare to not be able to use or, or have empathy at all um, if you're yeah. wired that way. But I think that does exist sometimes. But I think mostly it is that you were never taught as a child to have empathy. But okay. I do think that is pretty rare and that actually we're hardwired for kindness and and connection mm. and empathy. Have you come across any of those, the rare ones? It's a spectrum, isn't it? Um, so yeah. more than anything, yeah, it's guess. a spectrum. And definitely in my work over the years with hundreds and hundreds of people on that spectrum there have been people that are just so full of empathy for others that I'm just in awe of them and actually it can be quite tricky for them to live their lives they get tripped up by the empathy a lot so I've worked with people on that scale and I've certainly worked with other people that are further down the other side of the scale for Mm -hmm. whom empathy is just not a huge part of their profile and maybe they weren't trained in it as much as as children or it just isn't the way their brain is wired so much but I mean they're not out there kind of as you say bloating or rubbing their hands together necessarily but empathy no. isn't um their dominant feature uh, uh, there's a fantastic 
well, I believe it's fantastic, personality profiling tool called Myers-Briggs. I don't know if you've ever come across it or MBTI. And it kind of tells you different personality types. And I've found that really instructive over the years to understand that, yeah, we're all wired as personalities quite differently, even though there do tend to be groupings of them. And some, about half it looks like, and it is more dominated towards women, do have more of a leaning towards empathy and another half and and there is a gender bias again in that men tend not to have such a leaning towards empathy but still as I say it's a huge spectrum and I'm I think Hmm. I'm lucky not to have worked with anyone on the far end of the spectrum definitely there's something that happened when you were young that made you give a shit about people (laughs) you know what how, how was your childhood what about your mum and dad? And what how? a question, just uh, one that I, know, I never it's a big asked one, myself. Isn't it? How was your childhood? Kate? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I always, from being I think two, the earliest games that I used to play were always about feeding the teddies and rescuing oh. the teddies and looking after them. So I think just as maybe you were banging a drum or singing as a two-year-old, I guess I um I was I was always doing that nurturing stuff from a really young age, and it was patently obvious. I think you're lucky if it is obvious from a young age because yeah you then have a clue as to what to do as you go through life but it really was very obvious for me and it I'm very fortunate that it wasn't necessarily any kind of bad experience it was more that I was wired I think to want to nurture how about you though just did you always know that you wanted to be no I actually wanted to be a vet so did you yeah. (laughs) yeah I did I always wanted to be a vet yeah but really my thing is not I kind of went into wanting to be a singer as I got older. Um, and when I say older, I mean five or six, opposed to two. So, <laughs> Ancient. Yeah, right. Um, and I think it's because when you're little, you kind of, you do things, don't you? And then you see who smiles and who doesn't. And it's yeah. the reaction that we have from those around us. And they'd be like, oh, go on, Jossie, do that again. <laughs> so I'll sing along to that and that will make people happy. And a star was born. Yeah, kind of. I don't know. (laughs) But I think my focus is really about happy giving. So if you can give someone comfort with a song or a feeling, you should probably do it if you can. And it's kind of like if you if you can help somebody in their emotions, like what you're doing, if you can help someone feel more confident, more empowered, Mm. um, feel like they have choice. Wow. If you can, well, you should probably do it. Yes, I love that. One of the things that I love most about the career coaching part of what I do is that it is doing what you're saying. It's helping people figure out where their leaning is towards, where their profile fits. Mm. Mine was always nurturing. Yours was around making people happy through performance and animals too from the sounds of it. But and other people's is because they're a whiz with numbers or yeah. they're absolutely fantastic green fingered with gardening and other right. people amazing at creating set design. You know, And so what I love about that part of my job is that I help people figure out what they were um, not quite born to do because I don't believe for everyone there is just one thing or something but to help them figure out what their profile lends itself to and where mm. their strengths are best served and and then that they can go down that route as you say because you if you've got that then you probably ought to do it you know yeah it's the why isn't it yeah and we need it and we need a meaning and purpose we we all do we know that that's a key element of happiness is having a life filled with that purpose and meaning and in particular because mm. we spend so much of our time in our working lives to to make sure that we have that purpose and meaning and that certainly brings happiness and essentially health 
happiness and um, to be calm or to feel contented or to laugh and giggle. It's been proven time and time and time and time again that it does affect your physical health. That's right. Have you seen people's physical health affecting their mental at all? Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. I think in order for coaching to be as successful as possible, then people need to be creating the right environment almost for it to be possible. And so one of the things we can look at and often do look at is the aspects of their physical environment, like how much sleep they're getting or how much their nutrition. And again, it's not that I'm an expert in any of those things. I'm helping them to think about and consider their, how much movement they've got in their life, how much rest they've got in their life, for example. And, And yes, when they are taking care of themselves better, when their health in that way is good, when they've got good, adequate sleep, then certainly their mood improves and their resourcefulness improves and their creativity improves for sure. And they need all of those things to continue through the coaching process. So health is something we look at often quite early on just to make sure that they're maximizing it in every way they can to help Mm. the coaching process. Yeah. I heard that you had, um, you and your hubby had coronavirus. Yes. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm so sorry. The beginning. I just read it. I didn't it know whether that was some rumor or something. I'm so sorry. What, how, how was it? What was your experience with it? It was pretty horrid, actually. But, you know, we're through it and feel really lucky to be. But it was right at the yeah. beginning of lockdown in the UK. So, so was it was at probably the at the scariest time for it to happen. Yeah. And actually, in my case, that was part of the challenge for me is not so much the physical side of it, although it wasn't pleasant, but it was just a kind of a bug, I guess. But it was the psychological side that was really hard is that, as you say, it was scary. We didn't know what it was. Mm. For my husband, it was more severe physically. He was very poorly and nearly needed hospitalization. But in the end, he was he was okay and he pulled through. But uh, the psychology, that side of it was quite scary and quite it's awful. Yeah, it was definitely very anxiety provoking. Would you have any advice for anyone else that has it right now that might be listening? Yeah, I I would, but for what it's worth, because, you know, it was only my experience of it, but I certainly would turn off any news. That might sound really strange because it's not a doctor's yeah. advice, but, um, but it is a kind of person in psychology. Turn off the news. That was a mistake I made because it was also new and I wanted to understand it and do the best for myself. I was reading constantly about what happens on day seven, what happens on day eight, oh what are the long-term prognoses for people that have had it, what are the, and I was just terrifying myself with all of that information, which, which wasn't sicker. real which certainly made me sicker without a doubt. Of course, I'm not saying to be irresponsible and not find out, but choose a medical healthcare professional that you trust and speak to them about it, but don't go asking everyone for anecdotes about people they've known or reading things, you know, about this time when that person got reinfected or something. It's, um, it's just very, very frightening. And the media are not helping in that way, I believe, because as we know, the media can need to sell stories. And so they often peddle in fear. And this is not the time to be peddling in fear. So yeah, I would, my, my number one advice would be to switch off from that and, and trust that you'll get through, you know. Yeah. Listen to your body. You know, when you're feeling sick, right? We don't often, when we get the flu, we don't turn on the news. Yeah, we, we just we just speak to someone that we trust about it. We yeah. do what we need to do, listen to our bodies, etc. And yeah, so that would be the yeah. one thing I could say. Really, I do think the fear the fear that comes with this virus is so oh, it's it's just overtaking, isn't it? I, I spoke to my dad on the first, I suppose when you probably when you had the virus right at the beginning of the mm. lockdowns, and um, he had it, 
but he didn't know he had it. Oh goodness! But is he well now? He's fine now. Yeah, he's he's had mm. the test. Um, he's got the antibodies, so that's how we know that that's what it was. But Same. he just had a really terrible what we thought was flu, and it was horrible talking to him because I mean it was lovely to talk to him. Don't get me wrong, it was horrible the conversation we were having because it was like I was stuck in America. Luckily, I was with my mum. Thank God. Mm. Um, we all felt like the world was going to implode, and we were never going to see our loved ones again. And my dad yeah. had a conversation with me that I will never forget. It was like, it was like, Jossie, I just want you to know that if anything happens, I want you to know that I've had a really good life. Oh. You know, these type of words were coming out of his mouth. Mm. Oh, it makes me feel sad talking about it right now. But, yeah, but. um. But it was just, the conversation was the horrible bit. It was yes. the, the fear. It wasn't the virus that was the horrible bit, actually. That's right. That's you exactly know, I right. didn't have the virus, but it made me sick in other ways, you know. So I've, I've heard people talking about the pandemic of, of anxiety that, that has yeah. been growing through this. And in my practice with my clients, I've seen so much more anxiety than I've ever seen in the 18 have years you? prior to it. Absolutely. And and so much more reflection and so many people wanting to make huge changes in their life because of that, which is not, of course, a bad that's thing. Good. But that's good. That's very good. That's a, that's an upside, I think. But certainly an awful lot more anxiety than I've ever seen before. Yeah. We have to try and be positive now, I think. I think we've had enough. I think we've had enough yeah. of this negativity now. Enough. And use our choice that you talked about before. Do this. Yeah. <laughs> Let's yeah, use our controversial choice yeah, and try exactly. to be positive. You know, try. We have to try yeah. at least. That's the most important thing and there's good things that are happening in the news you know it's just hard to find it because there's always like a little slant mm -hmm. on it that makes it negative because people react much more passionately to a negative piece of news than they do to a positive so they're going to give us more negative because that's their yeah. job is to get ratings story. yeah there's some really good news channels where you just do search for just good news and you can filter the news by that i i subscribe yeah. to some of those and they're lovely Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's good to know that there's such an awful lot of great going on in the world, as you say, but you, that there's you just so don't get to hear about it if you just, if you don't seek it, basically. Yep. It's not as entertaining, basically. Mm. Okay. So if you could say one thing to all of the listeners, um, if they could make one action to improve their lives when they, you know, put down their headphones from listening to this podcast... Um, what could it be? And it's hard to choose one because you have so many, so many things. And also the advice thing, I know you're not supposed to give, but. Yeah, true. <laughs> this is my, my one opportunity just in the whole of my life to give some advice to somebody. Oh, it's here. It's now. I better get this right. Um, <laughs> I, I suppose I do oh, have dear. something that springs to mind. I'll probably afterwards finish this and think, oh, there's this and this and this and this. But I think what underpins most of coaching is one's relationship with oneself and how well a person knows themselves and then how much a person likes oneself, self-esteem, as we'd say. Mm -hmm. And whatever people are working with me on in coaching, whether it is their career or whether it is starting a business or their massive company, whatever it is, it, the relationship with themselves is kind of central to it all. And will their self-knowledge and self-esteem will improve as the coaching goes on through that focus, really. So, I think my one piece of advice would be to spend time getting to know yourself, which sounds very hippie, I know, or twee. But I guess 
you can do that in so many different ways. You can do that through working with a coach. You can do it working with a therapist or you can do it with um, reading books, of course, or listening to podcasts that make you think. Mm -hmm. But it is in our crazy fast-paced life with so much information coming to us about marketing this or this product or this or this or this. We are really not doing a very good job at stopping and thinking about ourselves. I mean, and I really mean thinking about ourselves, not just what we want or what we need to be happier or thinner or this or better or richer, but actually thinking about who we are and how we tick. And if we can carve out more space, more quiet to think about who we are and what makes us tick, I think we would all be that bit more grounded and happy and the world would be a better place. So that's my one piece of advice to us. That's perfect. That is perfect. Thank you so much, (laughs) Katie. You are a fantastic human being. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. I want to say a massive thank you to our sponsors, Walida. This morning, and this is no word of a lie, I scrubbed my entire body with their birch body scrub. Oh, it smells so good. Trust me on this one. It really does. It's lush. And then, because I was feeling greedy, I followed that with their Wild Rose Cream Body Wash because I'm obsessed with rose. I have a little fern right in the corner of my shower. And along with the scent, I felt like I could be in one of those, you know, adverts on TV when the forest starts to beautifully grow around you with colourful birds flying past and butterflies dancing together. It was just... I don't know what was wrong with me. I went right off on a tangent. So yeah, if you want to also scrub your beautiful bodies with this lush stuff, visit their website, walida.co.uk. Okay, on with our little cup of happy.